I'm gonna I'm gonna take the clip of this and say, you know, if people who uh, want to support us on Patreon will get to hear uh, Susanna and I talk about dating in the parrot room. <laughs> <laughs> so much to say. So much to yeah. say. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between so between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Zero Squared is the Zero Books podcast. Susanna Kleeman, you are the author of the novel Twice. Yeah, I am. I've got a copy of it here. Yeah, hold that up. There it is. It is one of the rare uh, times we published a novel. It's well worth reading. People should... Go out, rush out to the store and buy it. But, you know, I thought in this podcast and, you know, video interview, we would talk about fiction uh, rather good. than just about your your book in particular. We can talk about your book as well. well I was going to say, you know, I've come on this podcast, obviously, to, to talk about my book here, Dan. Happy to talk about fiction. Happy to talk about your fiction, too. Um, well, capitalist fiction is what I'm thinking we'll talk about. Your, your essay, Murdering the Imagination. And then yeah. along the way... We can talk about how your novel revives the imagination and Thank tell the, a little plot synopsis. But I thought before, rather than start out with a plot synopsis about twice, we could we could talk about uh, the struggles you've had to be a fiction writer in this era, in this time, and and what you think about capitalist fiction and, and how the imagination is murdered. This is going to be published in the Hong Kong Review of Books soon. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I don't know when it's going to be published, but it's going to be published in the Hong Kong Review of Books. I'm very pleased. Capitalist fiction murdering the imagination. I've got a neighbor who is um, a, a very successful Celtic detective novelist. And mm. uh, he's told me, yeah, he's got, he's got a fan club. He's got his own magazine. He's got everything. And he's given me a lot of good advice. And the main advice he's given me is that titles matter a great deal. That, and and as, as I'm sure you find when you're titling YouTube uh videos or anything mm. titles matter and he says you've got to punch people in the face with your title basically uh and that's why i call it i call it capitalist fiction because it's about capitalist realism and how that bleeds into fiction but mm. it needed a addendum and and i said i 
you know, murdering the imagination, why not? A bit of murder is always good. Yeah, so firstly, thank you so much for publishing my novel, Zero Books, Douglas Lane. Um, I'm mm -hmm. so thrilled to be so honored because I know that you don't often publish fiction. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say though, it was difficult for me to get my novel published even though I think it's an excellent novel. Um, and I think that part of that is because my novel is different to how novels often are today. And, um, you know, we can really get into it if you want. I can talk about yeah. what I've talked about in, in, in my essay there. I, I, it's difficult territory because I, I also don't want to be saying all other novels are shit apart from my novel. That's obviously... I think, I think it's a fine thing to say. I say that whenever <laughs> I talk about my books. Okay, sorry, I meant to say all novels are shit apart from my novels. Yeah, and your exactly that, right right exactly that's right <laughs> that is no and in fact that's really not what i meant to say at all and some novels are absolutely excellent but um the the biggest difficulty that i had when i was trying to and i went down a very conventional route i was writing my book i thought this is great so thrilling who's not going to want to read this book it's it's excellent so then i did what you're supposed to do which is um right off to well the first thing i did is start to follow lots of literary agents on twitter because because for those of your viewers who don't know if you've written Fiction, different to non-fiction. If you're written fiction, you write the whole book. No one asks you to, you write it. And then what you're supposed to do is find a literary agent who's a kind of broker. It's gonna mm. exist between you and the publisher uh, because publishers don't wanna be deluged by mm. thousands of, um, anyway, whatever, whatever. But, but I didn't worry myself too much like, is this science fiction, is this not? Is it, is it whatever? I just wrote it. And having not been to any creative writing courses or anything like that, I looked on the internet and I had written novels before. I'd written autobiographical novels before and I had had interest in agents before, but not sufficient to ever find a publisher, basically. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had got done, gone down that route and the route I, I would gone down was not writing the short stories and getting people interested in me. It was like, write this whole long thing, let it take a long time and then send, off, um, send it off to agents. And what it says to you on the internet about sending it off to agents and what agents tell you themselves is be very clear what genre you have written and not just be very clear about what genre you have written, but be able to what they call have comp titles. So be able to say this is similar to X, Y and Z. And what you shouldn't mm -hmm. say is this is similar to Harry Potter. You've got to be a lot more realistic and clear about what it is. And, mm -hmm. and as I was writing my letters, sorry, we, we've got on off the topic of capitalist fiction and, and I'll return to it. But I'm just No, we haven't, here. though. Not really, because this is all industry talk, right? Okay. I mean, okay. Okay. So, uh, so. And by the um, way, we do the same thing at Zero Books. We want the submissions to come in with uh, examples of similar titles. Of course you do. We can look at you, you do because you, you want to you know you want to be able to place it and you don't want them to say oh my book is similar to capitalist realism you want them to say my book is similar to you know a, a, a less major thing that you can place that is more anyway yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. anyway anyway um the so I, I was then i was writing my letters to agents thinking okay so what book is like my book I, I don't really know what books like my book and also what genre is my book and i was thinking to myself it doesn't really matter. You know what's going to happen? They're just going to read the first sparkling pages of my fantastic novel, and they're going to just be swept away, Doug. They're, you know, all previous ideas about genre, about this and that, com titles, they're not going to care. And, and I think that as we get more experience in life, what we learn is that every time we think that we're the exception, that's where I'm, we're on a high road to nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got some, you know, sometimes... Often people just don't respond. It's very rude, especially if they say that they're going to. Other times people just said, no, not up my street. And, and I got quite a few nice responses back, but they all said, 
I don't know where this sits. I don't know what the market for this is. I don't know, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I really liked it, but I don't know who I would sell it to. And and I got an increasing sense that there was just no, there was no space for my book. There was no space for my book. And at the same time, and I really don't want to be here on your lovely podcast saying, you know, contemporary fiction is rubbish. And that's certainly not what I believe. But mm -hmm. when I looked at what was being published and when I read what was being published, often, I won't say always, often what I felt is like, these are not novels in the sense of what I like in novels, which is that the thing about a novel is it's supposed to be novel, right? It's supposed to be um, something that you haven't had before, something that you haven't experienced before, something that's saying something more to you, something different. And what I got a sense about when I looked at novels, I thought, I know what the plots of all these novels are, and I can understand what the genre of them is. I understand that this one sits here, this one sits here, this one sits here. I can understand that these are more well-behaved than what the proposal I was putting forward. But then I began, I also felt like, and therein is a problem for me, because there's nothing that's surprising here about this. And and it's, when I'm talking about genre here, I'm not just, you, there's, you know, there's there's books that are supposedly literary fiction, and then there's everything else which is supposedly genre which it means science fiction romance action adventure whatever but in fact literary fiction is just another genre um mm. and they're all what it means to write in a genre means certain things happen in a certain way with a certain tone so that you can take them and take them off the shelf and that they can feel more and more like a known product if you see what i mean rather yeah than you know i feel like this would be a I feel like this will be a good time for you to give everyone the plot synopsis for twice and maybe uh, compare it to the kind of novel that you're talking, an example of the kind of novel you're talking about that could easily be slotted into uh, a, a genre after. Okay. Well, I, I tell you something when I wrote what I love reading, what I, the real inspiration for me in writing this book is I went to stay in the house of a woman who had, recently committed suicide, very sadly. And this woman's house was just covered with amazing books. And they were all books that aren't the sort of books that are published today. There were books like Memoirs of a Geisha or uh, The Name of the Rose, books that are popular books that have a lot of plot in them and also are very rich and teach you a lot about the world and not sort of thin books about character, which often literary fiction is. Books a bit like, like a book, another book that was in there was Gone with the Wind. Books that have massive blockbusters that are even, I think the Thornbirds was in there. So even books that are kind of tawdry and silly, but nevertheless, they're big books that you just get swept up in. The Magus, for example, I don't know if you've read by John Fowles. Often books that are just a little bit crazy, but, but there are big, exciting, interesting books. And when I went to stay in this place, surrounded by these books, what I felt very strongly was, where are the books like that now? And the very strongly what I thought was, I want to write a book that's like this, that isn't as, as for example, literary fiction can often be something that is a character study of a particular person in a difficult situation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something that is not just about one person and their individual experience in our imperfect world, but it is a much larger, crazier sort of thing. And I suppose, you know, there are, there are books more recently that are published a bit like that, Thomas Pynchon, maybe, but it's just not quite. I like Thomas Pynchon, but I don't like it as much as I like to get my my teeth stuck into a good, deep, big novel full of ideas and characters and stuff and excitement and plot. 
What I really also felt is I love plot. I love, you know, the reason I began to read as a child, the reason everybody begins to read and continues to read is what happens next, what happens next. And so often, even in books that are supposedly, re, you know, genre books like thrillers, the setup today is often good. And then the payoff is nothing. You know, the ending is very disappointing. And as for literary fiction, so often there's just no plot at all. And and that's good in many ways. It's fine and fantastic. But but it's also when it's always that there's no plot and it's a kind of set to fragments. And, and another thing that I had read that irritated me was um, about 10 years ago, the critic David Shields. Do you know his book, Reality Hunger? No. OK, so it's a book about how he says, I read big novels today like Ian McEwan. And I think, really, what a joke. Nobody reads this. They're anti, you know, they're, they're, they're ridiculous, old-fashioned books that no one would read because of the internet. And what he says is, what he prescribes is what we call today um, anti-novels or kind of novels that are sort of bits, fragments of someone's experience, or they're having a bad time, or they're worried about climate change. And there's not much of a plot. It's just one character, and you can kind of anecdotes happen it's a bit like a live version of the internet really you know mm. you're going from this to this to this with a bit of blogging and then a bit of something that you've you know and, and it builds up to and those things can be skillfully done and they're, they're, for me it's all right from time to time but what mm. i want to read i want to read something that surprises me that i want to stay up all night and find out what's going to happen next and that i'm addicted to reading and at the end i'm like oh my god oh my god and so when i was writing my book what i actually felt was I want, and also I felt there's there's books like the Da Vinci Code, for example. Have you read the Da Vinci Code? Yes. Okay. So in in many ways, that's an absolutely great book, except it, it's written really stupidly. Sorry. It, no, it, it is. It's not, it, you know, it, it's not it's not given the subject matter and how thrilling the subject matter is. You, you could elevate it and make it so much better. And what I felt was like I I don't want to write some literary fiction. What I want to write, well, I, I wasn't thinking in terms of genre. I was thinking in terms. I want to write a really gripping story that is a blockbuster. In essence, I want to write a blockbuster film because those are the one place that seems to me where we're still allowed these massive visions, these massive. Um, you know, uh, you know, you, we, the special effects can go as far as you want, but I also want it to have human and psychological interest. I want it to be good mm -hmm. at the same time. And therefore, that was a difficult genre to encapsulate and to try to serve up to potential literary agents, whoever else. And I think sometimes I came across as crazed, I would say, I, you know, what I was well, writing about. <laughs> I, I, you know, the reason I, I liked your book was because it was... Um, it had a great hook and it was it definitely plotted, but it was also, it seemed to me very much off center. It was not um, as conventional as the Thornbirds or, or, or anything like that. You know, it was a very off center book and yeah. the, of an author that might come to mind for me and tell me, and I'll tell you what, I'll cut this if you, if you disagree, but um, <laughs> that, that is that I think writes in a similar way or with a, a, the same kind of magical realist fantasist, uh, yet very contemporary sensibility would be Haruki Murakami. Oh, well, I'm you read very Haruki, honored to Haruki. hear you say that. Yes, yeah. I am very honored to hear that. Although I will say that for me, and maybe this is a mark of my craziness, I, I don't think that my book is magical realism, and I don't think my book is fantasy. Um, that may sound strange. I, you know, because... Well, by the, the other... end of the book, it becomes clearer and clearer that it's not as fantastical. Okay. Okay. As people might okay. think at the start, right? I mean, at the start, okay. it seems very okay. much I, like I, I, you know. But I, I do want to say, and I should say, and the reason why, in the end, I felt like I must come to zero books is 
I wanted to write about plots and to have something with a good plot. And what I really meant to say and have forgotten to say is that because I feel that there are so many plots that we live in and I feel that there's such a taboo about plots and discussing plots, because as soon as you do, you start, oh, this person's a conspiracy theorist. It's such a good ending to conversations. And I feel that, and this is part of what I wrote in, in my essay that's upcoming for the Hong Kong Review of Books, is that while there's a, the, the, we're discouraged from having plots in our fiction too much, but all sorts of weird things are happening around us. You know, all sorts of stories happen and all sorts of amazing, you know, we live in an amazing, an amazing world of, of thousands of fabulous stories and all sorts of things, insidious, not insidious. And so I, I really, I don't think of my book as magical reason, and, and I certainly don't think of it as fantasy. I think, of, I, in fact, and the, the very difficult task I said to myself is, if I'm going to write a book about people who are plotters, it would have to be a very tightly plotted book with amazing plots in it if I'm writing about people who are plotting about our lives. Right, but the initial setup seemed yeah. fantastical, right? Yeah. Fantastical, right? And you asked me to give the initial setup, and I, I will give the initial setup. It's about mm -hmm. a woman who's sitting at home in her flat in London one night, and the doorbell rings, and it's her ex-boyfriend. He turns up. He's as much of a smarm as he ever was. He's only there for one thing. He wants something, a book from their childhood. She tells him to get lost. He leaves, and then five minutes later, he's back again, and he... He looks a little bit different, but more or less the same. His clothes are slightly dirtier. And he's like, oh, no, I wasn't here before. That wasn't me. No, 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 it's not me at all. And, and as he's saying this, she notices that his index finger is missing the tip of the index finger. And, and he says, no, oh, my God, was someone here before? Oh, my God, that's, 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 let's call it my brother. Oh, dear, if he's been here asking for this book, that's very bad news. But you've got to know I'm the real one. And uh, the, the book then follows as they go for a quest this mysterious book from their childhood, who, which one is the real one? Are any of them the real one? Are there only two of them, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that setup was, to me, it resonated. I uh, just uh, in a lot of different ways. I, I the the notion of a doppelganger um, uh, or duplicates uh, and the the questing after authenticity, or you know. Um, in a in a world where conspiracies uh, are, are afoot and nothing can be trusted, that's the kind of book I like to read. Well, it's fun. It's fun. Let me tell you, it was a lot of fun to write it. It was a lot of fun to write it. It's very fun. Doubles. It's very fun. Who is is it? This one? Is it that one? To an extent, when I was writing, I thought actually all the books I like are to some degree identity thrillers, and and those are the really compelling books, movies anything when, when it's like who is this person are they really who they are oh they're not there's someone else you know the horror of discovering someone that you think you're so close to is something else something else entirely the possibility that opens up when that comes those are those are thrilling things to, to read about and and to write about and i really enjoyed myself writing it one aspect of your book uh susanna that we might um talk about in the second half for just the patrons is the uh the the personal side, not not about our lives, although God knows you've heard enough from me about the my personal stuff, but just <laughs> the trouble about dating and uh, today and with through apps and also just uh, the the question of uh, you know having a partner at a time where identities are constantly shifting and and very the, happy to, to talk about that with your yeah, private I feel later yeah and for the patrons yeah so that's I'm gonna I'm gonna take the clip of this and say. 
you know, if people who uh, want to support us on Patreon will get to hear uh, Suzanne and I talk about dating in the parrot room. <laughs> <laughs> so much to say, so much to yeah. say. Yes, yes. And I should say my book is called Twice, not just because it features doubles, but also because it's about our digital world, which is a world of duplication, which is mm -hmm. a, a world, you know, to me, and, and, and particularly for me, this is shaped by the reading I've done of Jean Baudrillard, who I love. Mm -hmm amazing mm -hmm. um what it that has really shown me is the project of digitization is the project of doubling the world there is the world we don't understand it and then there is its digital representation which we can manipulate in a much stronger way and and twice to me is the symbol of of, of digitization yeah and connecting that back to the topic at the at the start of this conversation writing a novel which is an analog medium mm -hmm. really. mm -hmm. you know we can read it on our screens now in a time of digital replication and duplication um might be a part of why uh you wrote that the imagination has been murdered that, that there's yeah. something about uh digital duplication and and uh, that approach to media which uh does violence to original uh stories original ideas and, well, and I, I, it goes back to that thing about the title. You have to have a title that punches people in the face. And if people have to think about what your title means, it's not punching them in the face. It's probably pushing them away a little bit. Right. But your yes. novel has makes people think and a good novel will introduce something new. And so it that flies in the face of this kind of churning well, out of product of, and duplication. It does. and I, But I also think that um, and, you know, I. I I think about this a lot. Um, that the th for a start, we, we just we can't really be bothered to read. It seems like a big effort because we're all just plugged into this one thing, which is the internet, which is what we feel is reality. Um, uh, and what we it, it's hard to express, but we don't want to we don't want to step back from it. In the days before the internet, you, you know, people had a lot more private time to think. You would sit back, you would be bored a lot more, you know. I was on a train uh, coming to Wales. I'm in Wales here now, staying at my in-laws' house. Uh, I was coming on the train. I've come on the train often. People used to read the book, read books, or stare out the window. Everyone's on their devices, and much more than they ever were, because there's Wi-Fi now on the train also. So there's just one world that we're all plugged into. There's just one thing that we're all plugged into, and it just wants us to be plugged into that more and more for many reasons. One is digital capitalism, attention economy. It's also just much easier to be in that. And there's always something, it's always refreshing. We don't have to step out of it at all. And um, part of reading fiction, which is different from reading nonfiction, because nonfiction's a bit like the internet, right? Because it's facts, yeah? It's, it's, it's stuff that actually happens in that one place. And often nonfiction is about the internet. So we're still just in that one space, in that one space. And increasingly, I, I just feel like we feel it's almost bad luck or bad manners to say there is another place. It feels fair and embarrassing to, 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 to think there is another place and you can step out of that other place by yourself, and you can, you know, I'll save this discussion for your parrot room, but it's also true that that's what happens in romance. In theory, what happens in romance is you step out of the one world with one other person and you go into another place with them. You step out of the world. That's why it's called stepping out. OK, because it's about mm -hmm. stepping out of the world. But there's a real taboo on stepping out today. We're all just plugged in and we all think, oh, it's because 
it's better we're lazy we, we can't get out of it but what and and the idea of reading something made up that someone has written is just like well you know no it's not like that it's not real but the thing about it is you know this isn't real either this is all a complete miasma and a lie it's just sapping the life out of us it isn't true it doesn't give us the truth about life we haven't discovered reality we've just discovered a different way of, of being fake it, it appeals to our laziest instincts it's always going to give us the serotonin as we all know of a small hit and this video got this and that it's nothing whereas to really immerse yourself in someone's good fiction is to step out into a whole other worlds and to step out and to be taken out and back from but we don't want to step out and i, I really feel that to some degree we don't want to step out in fiction and in another degree we don't want to step out with other people anymore we're just in a masturbatory solo plugged in permanent mm -hmm. i um remember the first time i actually traveled somewhere with a smartphone mm -hmm. um this was about 2011 i think and i before then i hadn't had a smartphone uh i, th I think that wouldn't have been too soon no there were there, there were smartphones back then yeah and um and what I loved about it was that my the usual sense of anxiety that you might have when you're traveling somewhere new mm -hmm. about how am I going to find, you know, where I'm going or like a restaurant or my friend's home that I'm visiting or uh, how am I going to make sure that I um, make the train on time? Um, you know, how am I... Uh, 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 how am I going to keep from getting lost? All of that was forgotten because all I had to do was make sure my phone was charged. Mm -hmm. you big, big and, nanny. And, mm -hmm. and so it was almost like I was traveling without traveling. Yeah. Like I, 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 I had barely left my desk in a sense, even though I, yeah. and I loved it though. I thought it was great. I had a much better time because I was rather than uh, having the experience of travel, uh, where I was outside of my comfort zone, I stayed in my comfort zone and then poof, I was in a mm -hmm. bar with a friend. Poof, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, mm -hmm. on the train mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. Um, I and not so long ago, I went to uh Paris, um, with my whole family, and it, again, there was this experience of like, I, am I in France or am I not? Because I'm yeah. still on Facebook, yeah, I'm still, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, and uh, again, it was like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind this at all. This is the best way to travel to Europe without having to really travel to Europe. You know, well, I remember being in a bar uh, and telling the waiter in my American accent without any sense of shame. Oh no, I don't speak French. And, and he said, why you speak no French? Why are you here? And I said, I don't know. I, I clicked the button on my phone and here I am. <laughs> And how ironic that you should be doing that in France. Quite a lot of my family are French. And um, mm -hmm. although more and more France is, as my uncle says, more and more, it's like everywhere else. In France, they, anyway. anyway. Oh, especially uh, Paris. Especially where I was in Paris. It was it was like a Disneyland version of, of Paris now. Well, and, and there you go. I think, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of anxiety. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm not a very neurotic person. And a pleasure I have is getting lost. Really? You're, you're not neurotic? No, you're I'm really not. You're telling me, really? Yeah, I'm, re I'm really Wow. Unmatched. Much to the irritation of people around me who would like me to be more. <laughs> I, I, I'm not irritated. I'm just like, I don't think I've ever met someone who wasn't neurotic in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> well, you, you, you've just met me. I'm, I'm, I'm not neurotic, and I think 
that's because I've made so many incredible and often very public mistakes endlessly throughout my life that mm. I have a very, I have made as many mistakes as I possibly could. And I've got as lost as I possibly could in all sorts of places, including China and Indonesia, where I've been lucky enough to go and, and, and work, actually. So I've been really lost through my own stupidity and lack of planning and and the experience that i've had let me touch wood now i it doesn't making a mistake making a fool of myself uh failing getting lost um, <laughs> it's very familiar comfortable territory for me i got no problem with that whatsoever um mm. and and my other problem with smartphone is actually i work in technology currently i work for small clients and I do very meaningful and, and useful work often with archives, digitized archives. I'm very lucky I work, I have a very good day job, it's fine. But I have worked in the past for absolutely hideous corporations. I've worked for cable companies. Um, I've worked for state broadcasters, mentioning no names. I've worked in massive rooms um, full of people humming around with their smartphones. And in fact, I had a very strange experience, which is that when I was in my 20s, for various reasons, I lived in New York for a long time. And when I came back to Britain and I worked for a massive cable company, I got a job in like a farm, I can't even describe it to you, in Watford, which is a, 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 a town just north of London, in a real industrial business park, you know, in a, for a big cable company doing very unglamorous, but whatever, work for them there. And I... In the States, strangely, smartphones happened later than they did in Britain. So I'd been living in the States. This was like in the year 2000. And then I came into Watford, into this cable company. and Everyone had smartphones. And there hadn't been a granular project uh, progress. It had just happened. And so I'd come from, bizarrely, from living in New York, where nobody had a smartphone. Suddenly being in the space, everyone had smartphones, walking around, being weird. And so I, I, it just seemed hilarious to me. I was like, come on, this isn't how it is people talking to themselves, you know, it was to see it all on mass all of a sudden was a very intense and interesting experience. And then very bizarrely, I, I got work, I, I still didn't have a smartphone myself. And then eventually I got work with a big state broadcaster uh, in, in Britain, and I found myself <laughs> a mobile phone development service. I, you know, there's a big stories behind that. I really wasn't qualified to do it. And that's when I first got a smartphone. But then, so I, they always seemed to me horrific objects. I had seen them. They seemed hilarious. I couldn't believe that people were into them. And I kept it as low tech as I possibly could for as long as possible, which got me into a lot of trouble at work because I didn't know enough about what I was supposedly uh, making services for. So mm -hmm. I don't like phones, but I have worked with them very closely and I am not scared about getting lost. And I am scared about people tracking me, reading what I'm over my shoulder, what I'm reading. You know, I'm sure no one's interested in a million years, but I don't like the feeling of being watched. And I don't like the feeling of getting sucked into what everybody else is getting sucked into. And I don't like the feeling of being tethered to machines, getting my satisfaction and ego stroke from machines. And I don't like the fact that I read so much less than I did all the while when I was growing up and I read stuff that actually opened my mind, changed my life. You know, I was telling you briefly, I, I read John Baudrillard. I, I can't imagine, and I read that just, you know, I'm not a philosopher's stew student myself. I studied history. I can't imagine these days me going, me, I, I can do it now because I had the experience and I did it before. I can't imagine just wandering blithely in a bookshop, picking up uh, the perfect crime, opening it, having my mind blown. Just wouldn't happen. Just wouldn't You happen. know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting question. Is the difference... Because I read, I read quite a lot, but I read a lot on screens and I read it, I read professionally, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't read, 
uh, as much for pleasure as I used to by any means. And, uh, and I don't uh, explore new terrain the same way. Um, but I wonder if that's because, like, you know, when I was in, in my late teens and early 20s, going to college or even dropping out of college, uh, which I did for a while, there was a feeling like I needed to figure out the world. Right. And it was exciting to wander into a philosophy section or a critical theory section uh, and, and pick up a book that was supposed to be subversive and difficult. Like I remember trying to read Derrida uh, mm -hmm. when I was 19 years old and not making it, not making any sense to me at all. Because, uh, you know, you have to be fairly literate to, to, even catch the references to that Derrida lays out on a, you know, in a single page. Um, but feeling as though I was being challenged in a way that I needed to be challenged. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and I feel like that was a, as much about the time of life I was in as it was about the era, like the late eighties, early nineties, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but I wonder if, you know, 20 year olds, 19, 20 year olds still go to the university library or to a bookstore and grab onto books uh, that they don't quite understand in the same mm -hmm. way. I don't know if they do. And if they do, I don't know if they have the capacity to read through the pain. You know what I mean? To read mm -hmm. through the bits that you don't understand, to, to really engage with the difficult text which means the opposite of having a title that punches you in the face, which means sitting there thinking, I don't understand this paragraph or in fact, these last three sentences, I've read them three times. I'm going to read them again. Then I'm going to, if I don't understand. Well, I'm if I had had a phone back then and I had encountered Derrida, you know what I would have done? What? I, I would have gone onto YouTube and I would have typed in the title of the book. Right, right, right. And somebody so you, like yeah, me would have explained it to have, me. Yeah, exactly. And would that have been a better or worse experience? It would have been. But you were saying that you don't know that that was just the age that you are, that, that you were 19 and therefore you were open to it. But I recently have got back to reading more. And I don't think it's just when you're 19. I think that the horrible truth is throughout our whole life, we should read. And, and when, throughout our whole life, the capacity to be changed exists from reading. I just think that as you get older, you've got more to risk if you're going to change everything in your life you know you, you've got your job you've got your relationship you've got your established way that you've decided to live if you read something and it blows your mind it's quite dangerous you don't you don't want your mind blown it, but i don't think it means that your mind cannot be blown well there are times even for old fogies like me where your life changes despite you and it may be time to pick up some new books or some old books so yeah. um the, the, the yeah. solace is always there the solace is always there it just takes the it's just the pain of picking it up and believing it. And to go back to right to the very beginning of our discussion, the problem is that when what is presented to you is the newest thing in bookshops, just actually isn't all that interesting or isn't doing that. The mistake that you can make is to think all books are like that, um, rather than this most recent slate of what is published as as the great stuff I should be reading. Instead, it, it just makes you think oh, yes, the internet has superseded all of that stuff. I don't need to do this anymore. If I read any book, it would be like this. And I think also sometimes, I mean, I've just boasted to you about my fascination of reading Marcus Aurelius, but I also do think that sometimes I read older books and I think it can't talk to me because I want someone to talk to, often I want someone to talk to me about the digital time that we live in, the incredible lies and confusion that the internet brings, the destruction it wreaks on human relationships, the limitation it leads to our own lives. And old books are just not gonna be able to talk about that in some way. I have to, I, I, something I once 
an experience I had, which, which taught me a lot about the internet. Is I, I went to a demonstration of, um, it, it was in a big, in the Wellcome Institute, which is a big science library and center in London, in the mm. center of London. And they had a big exhibit on it. It was fascinating. It was about Tibetan medicine. Who knew what Tibetan mm. medicine was? Seems like it's amazing. And they had a practitioner, someone from Tibet who supposedly could fly. So obviously I was very interested and wanted to go and see this guy flying. A lot of it was about extreme yoga that people do. For example, sitting naked. You mean like naked. levitate, not like yeah. pilot a plane, but not like pilot a plane. No, no, he 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 could he could, yeah. I don't mean pilot. He could self fly. Is that a term? <laughs> I, I I would say levitate, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So he did could, you see them? Did you see him fly? Did he fly? Unfortunately, unfortunately, it it would seem that he his he wasn't fully able to levitate. He did do some absolutely amazing things with his body, and he did sort of what he was doing. And I hadn't really understood. He was going to sort of sitting in the lotus position, cross legged. He's going to jump. He's going to jump from there, and from that he would jump higher. And he did a bit of jumping. He jumped a bit, but I was like, this is more like jumping on your bottom than it is what I would call levitating. But whatever. He was a fascinating guy. He, he was doing a lot of strange exercises, making a lot of strange noises, and everyone was sitting with their phones filming him. And then in the middle of his demonstration, maybe to account for the fact that he wasn't levitating so well, he just stopped. He said, I, I have to stop now because I have to say something to you all. And he was you know, sitting all cross-legged. He got up. He said, I've, I've just got to say something to you. You're all crazy and you're wasting your lives. I see you all here with your phones. And I see, I come here and I see people all the time with their phones. And I'm seeing you holding your phone up. You're wasting your life. And I want to give you a message from your death. I want you to know that at the point of your death, you're going to sit there and you're going to think, why did I waste my life with phones? What is all this? He said, your minds are all poisoned. You're all fools. You must just stop it. And everyone was filming it. And then they were like, <laughs> gently putting, put, pocketing their phones, putting them away, putting them all like that. Made a big impression mm -hmm. on me. Mm -hmm. Did you have your phone out? Of course, I didn't have my phone out. I told you, I'm not neurotic. I hate phones. Um, I just I'm, want to I'm make sure, you know. I would have, I would have had my phone out and when he you had when your he, phone out and then you would never have looked at it again. Right? No, I no. When he put it, told me to put it away, I wouldn't have. Cause I would have say, Oh, this is great stuff for the internet. This is great I stuff. Put this, in, this is great I gotta, stuff. For, but, I got to put it on YouTube. You know, I yeah, reminded of a Bill Hicks um, routine where he says that he, he hates uh, advertisers and, you know, ad execs. He hates advertising. He wants them all to die. They should all kill themselves. And he says, and I know there's an advertising exec, in the audience right now thinking to yourself oh that bill hicks is smart he's using that uh that uh i hate advertising dollar he's going after the cynic <laughs> cynical dollar he, he's he's pitching himself as the anti anti-advertising dollar that's smart so no i'm not being smart and you are the devil that's it <laughs> so that's me i'm that ad exec in the audience uh, going okay. oh well Okay. Uh, the the anti-phone diatribe from the saying, guru. Let me come closer to film you. Yes. Okay. Mm. okay. Whatever. What's going to happen at your point of death? Are you going to think that was a valid thing to do? I don't plan on dying, so it's fine. I don't have to worry about that. Um, I have actually. Let's play a game. I. Uh, what is? Do you have any books nearby? Close at hand. I'm in my mother-in-law's. I know. I, I thought this might be an unfair game. Um, um, I've but, got to say, I, I have I have some things here. Do you want me to tell you what they are? They're not well, mine. Just like, but I hold up a book that that is near to near to hand for you. This is a book that's closest to hand for me. <laughs> Bino. So okay, I think I win that round. I've got another one, got, and you're <laughs> okay. going to like my next one. Okay. Oh my God. 
difference that generation x oh that's so good that's so good none of these are my books and um i i i i will i will show you another book that i have lying close to hand hold on one second deeper into god brother raman spiritual retreat a way to renewal Okay, there are lots of books like that. This is my mother-in-law's work from. Yeah, no, it sounds that sounds like the kind of book that I would have read in the '90s. Maybe, I was really? I was open to anything. You know, I I, I went through my um, yeah. UFO phase and the yeah. and oh, what about channeled entities? Yeah. And uh, I'll try but that. See, I'll try that mushroom. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you were open to everything, and that's also something else. I don't want to bore on endlessly, like the mm -hmm. boomers that we are. But are people open? No, we're not to boomers, by the way. We're both Gen X, aren't we? We're both Gen yeah. X. Yeah, we're, we're both Gen X. Definitely. We're, we're, both we're never, X. ever boomers. Old okay, not really. I, okay, never boomers. I don't want to sound too much like an old father, but I don't think people do that. I don't think people, I think everything is set. I think one of the great advantages of everybody being digital is there's presets. You just slot into them. You don't read outside your preset. You know, we're talking a long time ago at the beginning of this conversation about the whatever puny difficulties I had because I'd written something that wasn't in a genre, but the genre is is true not just of literature. We're all we all have to self-define now, don't we? We have to say what we are, and then we read within that subset. And it seems mainly because that's that's easier for um, companies to sell us stuff through. Um, it seems more to the convenience of, of of companies than than anything else. But do people do that? Do people read Celine? Do people read? strange offensive you know i grew up i'm i'm obviously a proud feminist but i grew up reading my brett easton ellis and loving it and and mm -hmm. i still do you know and do people do that anymore but now we're just talking like old farts so we can mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i think uh i have faith that there are people out there who are still reading re relatively broadly listening relatively broadly and watching all of zero books youtube videos i'll tell you well, what we should we got 46 minutes here. That's a good length for the first half, but I want to remind everyone again uh, to, to pony up $5 and join the Patreon <laughs> where you'll get to hear Susanna uh, give me uh, some uh, dating tips uh, in Definitely. the digital age. Um, uh, so I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to stop the recording. Thanks for watching this zero books video. If you enjoyed it, subscribe to this channel and click on the notifications bell so that you'll be alerted whenever we release a new video. You should also consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get access to our Inside Zero Books podcast every week and can get access to the Zero Books book club and help us to continue making online content from the left.